good morning. Hey, it is great to see you guys. I always love it when we come to church and there's people here. That's so exciting. Especially spring break week. Uh, we started spring break um, uh, yesterday or Friday or a month ago. At some point, we started spring break. And so it's, uh, uh, we have several who are traveling, I know, this morning. And uh, all of us that are here, we decided to vacation in Ekru. Praise God for that. That's wonderful. I want to invite you to take your Bible, and we're going to be in John chapter 12. We started out last week on a, uh, a series that we're walking through, um, Easter March. It's this concept of preparing our hearts, our minds, our bodies for the greatest celebration that we'll have all spring long, that we're going to have this year, perhaps. We're going to celebrate what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross, and as a result, because He has conquered death, then you and I, we can have eternal life. And so we want to celebrate that. I know Brother Porkchop is our designated minister of announcements. Let me walk you through a couple of things real quick, though, while you're turning to John chapter 12. And I don't want to step on his time, but there are a few things that I want to talk with you about. First, let me say this to you. Uh, as, uh, as, as the Friendship family, I want to say thank you folks so much. We, uh, this past week, uh, I was able to go down to New Orleans. I've been in the doctoral program there since I was born. And so we, uh, we've reached a point where uh, I've reached the point with what they call the exit interview. And so I had my exit interview Friday, sat down with three professors, and uh, they had read everything that I had written, and they critiqued it, and they made marks all over my paper and that kind of stuff. And then at the end, they gave me that. And they said, if you fix these, then we're going to give you a piece of paper. And so uh, I will officially finish uh, my doctoral work uh, in uh, May, on May the 18th. It'll be down in New Orleans. It's at 10 o'clock in the morning. It's an open ceremony. So if y'all have never been to New Orleans, that's a great opportunity for you guys to go. Come and celebrate with us, all right? There might be some Cajun food down there y'all could find. And uh, if you've never had any of that, that'll change your life too, for sure. But I want to say thank you to you folks for all the, uh, the expressions of Congratulations, and just uh, really just the support that you've provided for me and for my family uh, as we've tried to navigate through this extensive process that we've been in. We're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel, and we don't think it's a train, so it's sunshine, so we're excited about that. Uh, a couple of things here, and I, I emailed you. If I, uh, uh, if I have your email address, we uh, do a friendship group, and I love to include you. If you're not included in this, not receiving the email, uh, I emailed you guys this morning because there were some dates for March that are right there on top of us, and I want to make sure that we communicate those effectively, all right? So if you'd mark this down for me, and this is spe uh, specifically for the men, uh, next Sunday is the 17th of March, if I'm counting right. So March the 17th, during the Sunday school hour, we're going to meet with all the men that's going to be over in our fellowship hall here, and that's at 945, and I'm going to be leading through part three of uh, our study together on First Timothy chapter three. It's been about what it means to be a man of God and how a man of God leads God's church. And so we would invite you to join with us in that. Gentlemen, if you've not been to parts one or two, we can get you caught up real fast. You just come to part three, all right? And so that's going to be there. Uh, we've had a great time doing that, and we need you to be a part of that because it's important for us. I promise you I won't waste your time with that, all right? So come on to that. Uh, also, on the 24th, now that's the 17th is men's training. Uh, on the 24th, uh, also for men, because we're just we're pouring into men here at Friendship. We, we love our women. Our women are doing a great job, doing several Bible studies going on. And we're pouring specifically into men as well. 
So we invite you men on the 24th at 6 p.m. We're going to have a men's chili cook-off. All right? So if you guys have a recipe for some, you know, mild vegetarian chili, just leave that junk at home. All right? Because we want you to bring some man chili. All right? So this is for men, and I know it gets kind of confusing in our culture here about what I'm saying, so let me say it to you. If you are a man, you need to come to this. All right? If you don't want to make chili, you don't have to, but I do need some men that would make chili. All right? Mm. And I like competition. Don't you? Some of you don't. I do. So we will not crown a particip- participant trophy. All right? We won't say thank you to all you guys that made chili. It was all equivalent. No, it's not going to be. We want somebody that can make some daggum chili. And I believe in challenging men, so let me ask you this. If you're a gentleman in the room at this point, and you say, I think I got some of that, let me see your hand. Oh, now. Look at there, just three. Uh. So I invite you, gentlemen, if you would, if you can make some chili, all right? You say, well, my wife makes chili. Well, I think that's cheating. I do. So we want to invite you, men, if you make chili... Email me and say, hey, Brother Casey, I want to bring some of that chili. I'm going to bring some man chili, all right? I'm going to bring some man chili. If, gentlemen, you want to bring your sons, that's a great time for a boy to become a man at this event right here, all right? So we invite him. You bring your sons. If you are a young man, this is, a, this is specifically for young men. We need some young men here. If you are an old man, this is specifically for an old man. And if you're in between, you say, I've not, I'm not gotten old yet, this is for you. All right? So we want you men to come out. That's going to be again on March the 24th. That's going to be at 6 o'clock in our fellowship hall. Uh, Everybody, all men, y'all are welcome to come. Invite some men to come. All right? We're going to have the defibrillator. Man, we're going to have all kinds of great stuff. It's going to be right there for us. All right? So you folks make plans, uh, gentlemen, to come to that and bring a male friend with you so that we can just have some time of meeting some other guys and celebrating together the God's gift of taste buds. Amen? All right? You say, what about crackers? Who cares about crackers? Chili is what we're looking for, guys. Y'all bring some chili, all right? So those are the, some uh, things that are going, up, uh, going on. And then also on the 31st, you'll see a note in our uh, bulletin, I believe, about Victory Sunday. We're going to do Victory Sunday a little bit different, talking with our deacons. And, uh, and I'm learning here, folks, so y'all work with me. Victory Sunday is not a normal Sunday at Friendship. It never has been. It was never intended to be. We want to celebrate what God has done and the victory that we have seen him lead this church through. I've not been here for a lot of it, but I want to tell you, God's at work here. And so on that 31st of March, we're going to have Victory Sunday. All of our offerings are going to go directly to the building fund. If you're new here with us, all of our offering during Victory Sunday goes directly to the building fund. All right? And what we're seeing God do there is he's blessing and providing for us. All right? And we want to celebrate together. So that's going to be a special day of celebration. It is first and foremost for the church family. And especially, secondly, it is for visitors. So we invite you to bring folks to come and celebrate with us. All right? On Victory Sunday. And more information will be coming your way soon about that. Very good. Sorry about that, Brother Porkchop. You do a great job at what you do. But uh, I want to make sure that I touch on those. Those things are heavy on my heart. All right? Uh, Let's look in John chapter 12, all right? I want to spend a few minutes with you in John chapter 12. This is me looking at my watch like it matters. John chapter 12, all right? What I want to say to you here is this. Uh, Our Savior is one of the most misunderstood, misrepresented 
figures in all of history. He is one of the most controversial men, the only deity. He is controversial. He is confusing for us. And as I read in John chapter 12 today with you, and we just want to open up our hearts to God's Word, let me say to you, there's some confusing stuff in here. So I'm going to do my best. If you pray for me, I'm going to do my best to to represent this and to, to tell you what God's Word says for us. We see a picture of Jesus, and Jesus is often misunderstood. He's often misunderstood. And I want to show you, As we walk towards the cross, John chapter 12, remember we said last week he was anointed, anointed. He was set apart and said, this man is uniquely special. If there's such a thing, it's him, right? There is no one else, by the way. And we, uh, I love it when I have uh, math students, math students, they'll, they'll get in my class and I'll say, hey, here's the idea of what we call the hypostatic union is God unites when man forms. And he is 100% God, Jesus Christ, 100% God. And at the same time, he is 100% man. And so that means that if you add those 200% together, he is 100% Jesus. That's it. And so there's a lot of controversy, there's a lot of confusion about who Jesus is. So we want to take God's word and we want to see this picture of being confused. Now, let's skip to the invitation. You ready? How'd that go? That was a good one, right? Let's get to the invitation. Maybe today you come in and you say, I'm confused about who Jesus is. Can I tell you, just honestly, sometimes I can't be myself. I'm confused about who he is. So we want to see how through the ages, people have willingly, openly wrestled with who Jesus is. Let's look. John chapter 12. I'm going to back this up because I can tell I'm about to flail something. All right. John chapter 12, we're going to begin reading, if you would join with me, in verse 12. And what I would like to do as we read through this text, it's going to be a bulk of text, a lot of text this morning. Just want to show you God's Word. But I want to prompt you with some questions to consider as we read the text. Question number one, as we get into John chapter 12, verse 12, is this. um, Who, or, or excuse me, how do you see Jesus? How do you see Jesus? In other words, what is your mindset about who Jesus is, how do you view him, how do you personally understand Jesus? Here's what happens, John chapter 12, verse 12. The next day, the next day after he was anointed, the next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees, and we would say that's weird, but that's normal for Jewish people to do, all right? They take branches of palm trees, and they go out, they went out to meet Jesus, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Now what we see right there, again, there's perception. There's a mindset about Jesus just in those couple of verses. Here's what the people do. The people, the crowd, they have heard not about Jesus, and please don't misunderstand this. As I understand it, They've not heard about Jesus as Savior. Did you, did you hear that anywhere in those verses that we just read? There's no reference to Jesus Christ being the Savior. They're not looking at Jesus at this point as Savior. We have this privilege where you and I today, we can look back and we can see what was accomplished with the cross and with the empty tomb, and we can say, He's Savior. But in their time slot here, they don't see Him as Savior. 
they take these palm branches because this crowd, number one, we said last week in John 11, they've heard that Jesus has a unique, miraculous power to speak to dead people and force them to come back to life. That's a draw, by the way. All right? That's better than any sermon I'll preach. That's a draw right there is what we call that. And so they've heard this, and so now there's a buzz. And it would go kind of, I would imagine something like this. Hey, do you know anybody that's ever been dead? Well, this Jesus guy, he probably could do something about that. Hey, have you ever been afraid of dying? And what's going to happen after you die? Well, this Jesus guy, apparently he can do something about that. So there's a buzz from this large crowd. So they've heard that Jesus is coming to their town, all right? And we would say, and there's, we'd make all kinds of, what if the president came? We, let's not do that. Let's do this. What if Jesus were coming to Ekru? Well, we would line up. Which way is he coming? We know he's not going to come 15 from New Albany, man. It's bumper to bumper. But which way would he come? Which way, how would he come? And then what we would do is we would probably, I know I'll be there with you, we would take our vehicles and we would park along the side of the road and we would park in fields, we'd park in people's front yards, there'd be fights, there'd be lawsuits. It'd be great, all right? So we would get there and we would be waiting, anticipating Jesus coming down this road. That's what's happening here. Jesus is coming from Bethany, which is about two miles out. And he is walking through. Mark tells us he goes to a place called Bethage. And then he's on his way to Jerusalem. They know which way he's coming from. They've heard about him. So they grab these palm branches. And they go out and they line the street. And they're waiting for this man who makes a difference in your eternal life. They're waiting for this man who can, who can fix your death problem. And so they begin to wave those palm branches, which is pretty much a, hey, come on in. All right? They're just waving away. And they're shouting out, Hosanna. And Hosanna actually translates, your Bible probably tells you this, it translates, save us now. So that's the first reference that we even see so far about the crowd acknowledging Jesus' ability to save. But then they tack this on. Did you catch this in the verse? They tack this on. He is the one who comes from God. He's the king of Israel. Now, you and I, and I'm scanning the audience, not sure how many Jews we have in here. So let's assume that most of us are Gentiles just for a second. The Jews would understand Jesus radically different than you and I would. The Jews are God's chosen people. The Jews have been hearing this Old Testament prophecies for some 700 plus years. Messiah is coming. Messiah is coming. So as the Jews are a conquered people, they have been kind of pushed around the planet, if you will. The Jews at this point in Scripture, remember, are conquered by the Romans. And as they're conquered by the Romans, they don't like to be conquered. They don't like to be conquered, right? It's, it's sometimes like watching Ole Miss football. We don't like to be conquered, and we have to sit there and just watch it. It stinks, too soon? So, the concept for us is this. They're conquered people, and they have for 700 plus years been hearing, maybe even 1,000 years, hearing about your Messiah is going to come. And when Messiah is going to come, the one word that they would take away from Messiah from the Old Testament is this, deliverer. He's the one that's going to come, and anyone who has conquered you, he's going to conquer he is going to reign over those who reign over you. In other words, those bullies who've been bullying you, your big brother's coming. 
and he's going to take care of that business. That's how they see Jesus. And so we think about this idea how the crowds, they're not really open to this idea of who Jesus is. They've locked their minds into this concept of who Jesus should be. You know, we do that. We very often, we see Jesus and we say things. I mean, I don't know if this has been you. I know I've had this conversation. But we say things like, well, Jesus would never want me to do anything that would make me unhappy. Well, when we use that kind of thinking to justify living outside of God's clearly revealed will, can I say to you, we create our own idea of how we see Jesus. We say, well, Jesus, well, he, he, he really, you know, he knows that I've already done my time for him. Love that one. Jesus would never call me to be uncomfortable. Jesus would never call me to, at this point in my life, do anything that's illogical. I mean, everything in, in our culture, folks, in our mindset, we say Jesus loves everybody. Amen? Jesus then calls us to live a life of ease and comfort. Jesus causes us to live a life that would never cause us to do anything that doesn't make perfect sense. And that's the kind of Jesus that we're comfortable with. This concept of God who voluntarily becomes, limits himself to the form of man. And then he lives among his creation and allows his creation to create a way to brutally torture and murder him. We say he would never do anything in my life that's uncomfortable or illogical. Can I say to you, the crowd has a mentality much like we run the risk of having today. The crowd is saying, I want to see Jesus to be a certain kind of Jesus. And I share with you, it's difficult for us to look in Scripture and see Jesus as He truly is. He is the one who has purchased me. He owns my soul. He is Lord over me, ruling over me. And so therefore, if He calls me to do anything, it is in divine wisdom. If he calls me to take any action and he says, this is my will for your life, can I tell you, he has the right to do that and he also has the clout to do it because he is the one who understands what is best for us, even when we don't seem to make sense out of it. The crowd is crying out, Jesus, be this. Jesus, fix this. Jesus, do this. Look at verse 15. Excuse me, verse 14. And this is Old Testament prophecy, 14 and 15 together, coming to fruition. You ready? And so with the mindset the crowd has, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Here he comes, our conqueror, our ruler. He's the one that's going to lead us in military conquest. And verse 14 says, And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. And you say, well, Maybe that was coincidence. Maybe he couldn't find a chariot or a war horse. That would have been cool. That would have sent a message to Rome, right? But 
Look at this. Zechariah prophesies, verse 15, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. It's not a very majestic view, we would say. It's not a very powerful, manly kind of way to enter and send a political message to the Roman conquerors. Jesus comes in and he says, here's who I am. I do come to conquer. Don't misunderstand that. He comes to conquer through love and service and sacrifice. It's hard for us to see that Jesus. It's hard for us to connect with that Jesus because we want Jesus to fix every problem we've created for ourselves. And Jesus says, here I come. I want to enter into your life, and I want to be worshipped by you. I want to be served by you. Let me show you this. Watch this with me. We move on down. And the second question we see is in verse 16. How do you study Jesus? How do you study Jesus? And I had to come back to this one a couple of times. Verse 16, his disciples did not understand these things at first. And, you know, and in a judgmental spirit, all right, that I, I tend to have, I read that, and I get a little bit angry at those guys. Why in the world don't you get it yet? The disciples have been with Jesus every second of his life, of his ministry. That three and a half years, they've walked with him. They've seen those miracles. They've seen him walk on water. They've seen him cast out demons. They've seen him. They've heard him teach with authority. And see, here's the idea. They still don't seem to get who Jesus is. How much longer is it going to take them before they will understand that Jesus is the Son of God? Can I tell you? I'm, I'm right there with them at times. Look at what the Scripture says. Verse 15, excuse me, verse 16. It says, but when Jesus was glorified, then, what happened then? Two things. They remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. You see, there's two things that testify in my life. It's the Word of God and then my experiences with God. Would you agree with that? There's two things that testify to the reality of God in my life. There's the Word of God and then there's my experiences, my past where I've seen God be who God is. And what we see in our study of Jesus often is this. We want a casual Jesus who is just generously waiting for us whenever we show up. Rather than the Jesus that Scripture reveals. Rather than, if we were honest, the, the experiences we've had and the Jesus that the experiences we've had points to. The concept for the disciples is much like our concept. The question here becomes, how do I live my life through the lens of God's Word and the experiences I've had with God? You see, the biggest challenge that I tend to be facing recently is this. I know how to talk about Jesus. But then, there's a whole lot of living that I've got to do. Have you ever experienced that before? There's a lot of living that I have to do. For example, when I have X number of dollars in the bank, and then I need to make a significant purchase, right? And I'm talking about, you know, this thing just fried. we got to get this piece of machinery out of here. And logically, we're just going to replace it. Does that sound about right? 
That's how we tend to live our lives. Can I tell you one of the things that the disciples, and I'm encouraged by this, that the disciples struggle with? They hear Jesus teach. They say, that's cool. And they turn around and they start to fight with one another. As you read Scripture, that would be confusing, right? James and John are known as the sons of thunder. They get that name because when a Samaritan village decided to not acknowledge Jesus, James and John said, can we, Jesus, you've come to this place and you've preached to these people, can we call down fire from heaven and destroy these people? You say, well, that's kind of conflicting there, right? The biggest challenge I think that, that I'm facing in my life, church, is this, is that we know what God's Word says and we know who Jesus is, but when we start to live our lives we're kind of forgetting about him and drifting out here away from God's word. How do we get back to that? When you're faced with a decision this week, can I challenge you? What does scripture say? You say, whoa, 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 now when I get into asking questions like that, I mean, I'm, I might have to really dig into scripture. I mean, when this comes to should I buy a dryer or not, I'm going to look up dryer in the back, and the word of God doesn't speak to that. So it takes a little bit more than a concordance, but it takes the Holy Spirit living inside of us and reminding us of our experiences with God. God's been faithful to me, and he's going to continue to be faithful to me. God is timely in my life. He's going to continue to be timely in my life. It also takes instruction from the Word of God where I read it, and I say, God, I don't know if I can figure out how to make this decision. Should I buy a house? Should I sell a house? What should I do in this relationship? We have to be students of our relationship with Jesus. And as we're students of our relationship with Jesus, what we see happen in the disciples' life, this is when we begin to grow with this understanding. See what happens in verse 16. It says that later, after Jesus was arrested, Jesus was crucified, Jesus was resurrected, and then even a little bit later, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit of God arrives and it falls upon, dwells upon the disciples. And they begin to understand who this Jesus is. Can I tell you, we don't want to show up on a weekly basis with that kind of experience with Jesus. We need to walk through Monday with it. Or we say, Jesus, walk with me. Help me know. Help me be a student of who you are and what you're doing in my life. Question number three, how do you surrender? Question number three, how do you surrender? See the third group, all right? It says in verse 17, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. So here's a group of people that are saying, you guys got to believe in this Jesus. And they're telling all this larger crowd, and we understand at Pentecost at this time, this crowd's estimated it's about 100,000 to 120,000 Jews. So what we find here is this. you got a group of people who believe in the resurrection of Lazarus, probably seen the resurrection of Lazarus, and now they're just bearing witness. God, you got to believe in this Jesus. you got to believe in this Jesus. Man, he is the life changer. He's the one that changes your death into life. And so this is happening. Now watch what happens. It says, verse 18, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. I think that refers to the sign of Lazarus' resurrection. Verse 19, so the Pharisees said to one another, the religious leaders, the people who are leading the people to understand who God is based on how he's revealed himself in the Old Testament, these people are now going to provide some spiritual guidance. You ready? And they say, you see that you are gaining nothing. 
So in other words, you're following this Jesus, and the Pharisees say, that's a worthless endeavor for you to follow this Jesus. You are wasting your time in following this Jesus. And it says, look, the world has gone after him. In other words, everyone has become a sucker for this lie this man Jesus is presenting. That's what the Pharisees say. And you know what their surrender issue is? It's attention. It's attention. This concept that when Jesus comes into the world, when he comes into our world, Jesus alone deserves the applause. Jesus alone deserves our focus. Jesus alone deserves our attention. I've got to tell you, we're doing this, uh, <clears throat> this puppy obedience training. You're talking about ironic terms squished together. Puppy obedience training with our Jack Russell, right? I think our trainer is going to retire, all right? But, but here's the idea. We're teaching our puppy here to focus. That's the key word, focus. And focus is when that puppy locks eyes with us and won't break that eye. That's, it's really weird for dudes, all right? But he, he locks into our eye contact, and he does not break eye contact no matter what happens. And I want to tell you, man, when nothing's going on, he's there. He's got it. And so I'll say focus, and man, we're locked in, all right? In a non-romantic sense, we're locked in, all right? I'm like, whoa, okay, blink, dude. He's going to blink, blink, blink. And he won't blink, all right? He's right there. And I'll reach over, and I'll touch the bag of treats. He's gone. Yeah. I had him the other night, man, and I was like, all right, listen, we, and we're doing this because we don't want to get hit by a car. We're, we just want to be safe. And so focus. All right, I had him right there, right there. And that garage door open, man, he's gone. I'm like, focus, he's gone. There's no catching him. And can I tell you, the problem with the Pharisees is this. They don't want to focus on Jesus, and they don't want anybody else to focus on Jesus. You and I live in a world that is so filled with distractions. And we have justified, if you're anything like me, we justify distractions as being valuable. Valuable. Listen. What's the most important relationship that we claim? That's our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we measure that relationship, if we had to measure, and just a self-evaluation, not me judging you, just giving you a self-evaluation tool, it's time. Time. Time in His Word. Time in prayer. So, well, Paul says, pray without ceasing. Thank you. Thank you for that one. Thank you for that. So, pray without ceasing then. What does that mean? What does that look like in our lives? Our focus is constantly on other things. Jesus invites us and he says, come back right here. Come back right here to where I am. Look at me. Look me in the eye. Spend time with me. Learn to love me. Learn to walk with me. All these other things that are so important in our lives. Can I tell you? John says in 1 John that the world and its desires are passing away, that they're going to become obsolete one day, and you and I will be standing forever in the presence of our Savior, worshiping Him. And we love that thought, but have you ever thought about that? You've got to have a relationship with somebody to stand in front of them for eternity and worship and love them. You've got to know them. You've got to desire them. 
And folks, the reason that you and I are still here today is not so that we'd be chasing after what everybody else is chasing after, but so that you and I would zone in and we would say, we want to know Jesus. We want to know Jesus. Our hearts desire to know and follow Jesus. Is that what's, what your heart desire is? Because when Jesus becomes your focus, these other things that we're focused on, these, what Paul would say, idols that we pursue, they're going to start to shout at us. They're going to start to shout at us. And they're going to say, you're wasting your time following Jesus. Come back. I'm right here. I'll never let you down. They'll say things like this to us. Don't be distracted. Jesus is worth getting all the attention in this text. He's worth every bit of it. Fourth group then. Fourth group, verse 20 through 23. It says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. That's the biblical description that we have. There, How many? Some. Thank you for that. And what are they? Well, they're Greeks, which means they're basically Gentiles. They are non-Jewish people who have gone to the Jewish holy city at the Jewish designated feast time. They are somehow just attracted, it seems like, to either the Jews or more specifically, I would argue, maybe Jesus. They've heard about him and they said, hey, I ain't a Jew. Let's see what this is about. That whole resurrection stuff I might be able to get on board with it. So these Greeks come. It says, verse 21, So they came to Philip. For some reason, Philip is the spokesperson, the, the, uh, the liaison, if you will, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. That's sweet right there now. These folks who aren't Jews, who what the Jews would tell them, you can't be accepted into God's kingdom. You can't be saved because you're not born a Jew. They say, hey, we don't know about all that. We want to see Jesus. I just want to see Jesus. He says, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and he told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That doesn't seem like a yes, does it? This is weird. This doesn't seem like a yes. We want to see Jesus. Okay. That would have been an answer. I'll be right there. That would have been an answer. But look at what Jesus says. The question that the Greeks pose is this. How do we go about actually seeking Jesus? And I would say to you, simple answers. You ready? Say, how do we go about having a relationship with Jesus? I would say this. Number one, be in the right place. That's where the Greeks were. They're in the right place. And you say, well, hey, Brother Casey, when I sit down in the morning... Or in the afternoon or the evening, God bless you. And I open up my Bible and I read in my Bible. Sometimes there's just not fire that falls. Sometimes it's just not exciting for me. Sometimes I just don't get any of it. Can I say to you, I'm right there with you, brother. And I would say this to you, keep showing up. Keep showing up. Keep showing up. You say, well, this seems futile. It seems like I'm wasting my time. Keep showing up. Keep showing up. You do not grow spiritually by being outside of the disciplines of where you need to be. Well, when I pray, I feel like my, my prayers are just going about this high. Maybe you're right. Keep praying. Keep praying. You see, we continue to look for Jesus. 
Keep seeking after Him. Keep going after Him. Keep on doing what you've been doing. And you say, well, I got off track and I didn't show up for a week. I didn't show up for a month. I didn't do my devotion for a year. Great. Today's a great day for you to get started back. It's a great day for you to get started back. Because if you put yourself in the right place with the Word of God open and your heart open, I promise you, keep being there. And the Lord is going to bless that. Keep going after it. Here's the second thing. You ready? Keep asking good questions. When you come to Scripture and you say, well, I'm just going to make a decorative statement here. What exactly are you declaring, brother? I go to Scripture like this. What does this mean? How, what, how does this happen? How, I don't understand. The, the, the foolishness of the cross is what Paul talks about. Listen, go and ask questions. Find someone in your life. Maybe it's another person. Another man, maybe another lady in your life, ladies. Maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's a youth minister. Maybe it's uh, anybody. Ask good questions about Jesus. Hey, listen, what if you and I could check this idea that we know everything and we've got everything together? If we could just kind of let baggage claim have that stuff and you and I be real together, here's what would take place. We would begin to grow in Christ. Because we would say, hey, here's, here I am. I don't understand all of this. I don't understand all of this, but I'm living it. I'm walking it. I'm doing this in faith. I'm not even sure what faith is, but I'm, I'm there seeking after Jesus. This is what the Greeks do. Right place, lots of questions. Lots of questions. And this is for gentlemen and ladies, I would say to you. A 90-page spiral-bound notebook. Get you one. Put that beside your Bible. And every time you open that Bible up, open up that spiral-bound notebook and just write the first question. You read a verse, I don't know what that means. Write out what your question is. Read a verse, write out the question. Don't know what that means. Woo! All right? Got to quit starting in Revelation. But you just write out the question, write out the question, write out the question. And listen, this is how we begin to track spiritual growth. This is how we become aware of the reality of who we are. If you've got it all figured out, listen, you've got it all going on. You know everything that the Bible is about. You connect all the dots. Praise you. Okay? Next Sunday, 945, be here. All right? I'll meet with you, and I'll hand you my preaching Bible. You just take it, baby. We're walking through this together, though. And part of a church community is that you and I don't have it all figured out. But God brought us together so we would lean on each other, we would rely on each other, and we would grow together. That's what we're doing. So the Greeks come and say, here's what we know. We want to see Jesus. Can we see him? We want to see Jesus. Can we see him? Here's how Jesus reveals himself. All right, and we're done. You ready? So if you pick up with me in verse 23, Jesus answered, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Here's what Jesus says there. It's confusing. He says this. Jesus died for you so that you could have life. He gave up his life for you so that you could have life. He didn't give up his life for you so that you could continue on in the way that you were living. He died for you so that you could have life in him. His death makes it possible for you to live. That's what today is about. That's what tomorrow is about. His death makes it possible for you to live. Verse 25. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world 
will keep it for eternal life. There's some controversy there about what this world means. Here's how I would understand this. If there's things in this world that you won't stop for the sake of Jesus, they are your idols. Hey. And this is what I'm going through. You ready? When I can't stop eating, that's my idol. When I can't stop Netflix, that's my idol. When I can't stop touching my cell phone, going to social media, that's my idol. When I can't stop picking in a fight, that's my idol. When I can't stop arguing, that's my idol. I'm just telling you my testimony. I have no idea what your idols are. I'm just telling you mine. And so Jesus says this, if you're in love with this world and you love it more than you love the Savior, then you cannot have salvation. Jesus came to reign over you. Well, I've got a problem with that, Brother Casey. I want to be a Christian and not let Jesus be my Lord. Can I share with you? I get it. I've been there. And it doesn't work that way. He either is Lord over every aspect of your life or He's not Lord over any element of you. Well, I grew up in church. Me too. He's either Lord over every aspect of your life or He cannot have anything to do with your rebellion and disobedience. So anything in your life, Christian, that you say, I just love this so much, I can't even stop, give it to Him. Give it to your Master. And ask Him. Listen, don't do it on your own. All right? Well, I'm just going to skip lunch because Brother Casey preached on that stuff. Listen, skip lunch, you'll be hungry. Boom. Take your lunch to Jesus, your Master, your Lord, and say, Lord, I want to eat, but I want to love you more. Pick up that remote. Lord, I want to I relax, but I want to love you as I relax. You can tell that went well. Verse 26. All right? Verse 26. says, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So Jesus comes to lead you. He doesn't come to be a sideshow for us. He doesn't come to be entertainment for us. He doesn't come to be attention-stealing for us. Jesus is not trying to ruin your life by taking all the fun out of your life. Jesus is trying to give you life. And it's found only in Him. Would you pray with me? Our Father in Heaven, as we come today, we recognize, hopefully, who you are. Lord, you are not the joy thief. You're the life giver. You're not the one who's trying to uh, domineer over us in a way that just makes us miserable. You're trying to free us from our misery. And Lord, this morning I come to you with a heavy heart. I know that in this world we struggle. We struggle, God. There are things that we say we need things that we say we love, things that we give ownership to, things that we say we own that are actually owning us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see you for who you truly are. You are the one who comes to free us. So I want to pray for my brother right now who's struggling with addiction. Lord, would you free him? Let him not be free in his own strength. Oh Lord, give him the courage to forsake that and to be free by surrendering it to you. 
be free by becoming servant to you and you alone. Lord, I pray for my sister who has these little things in her life that keep on dragging her away from you, that keep on pulling her away. God, would you let her be free in you? Would you deliver us, God? Lord, not in our own strength, not in our own planning, not in our own our own uh, friendships with others, not our own uh, steps. God, those things are all right. They're not divine. Would you free us? Thank you. As you come into Jerusalem, you march into our lives, and you march in as you are riding a colt, a donkey. And Lord, as you come in, give us the courage to let you be who you are our Lord, our Savior, the one who served us with the cross and saved us through the resurrection. And it's these things we pray in your name. Amen.